السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, we gather for the fifth part of the study of the Hadith of Hudaybiyyah from Sahih al-Bukhari. وبالسند المتصل مني إلى الإمام البخاري رحمه الله قال حدثني عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثنا عبد الرزاق قال أخبرنا معمر قال أخبرني الزهري قال أخبرني عروة بن الزبير عن المسور بن مخرمة ومروان يصدق كل واحد منهما حديث صاحبه I relate with a continuous and uninterrupted chain from me to Imam Bukhari رحمه الله who relates from مسور بن مخرمة رضي الله عنه and مروان بن الحكم who both say and they both narrate from a number of companions, radiyallahu anhum. We've covered much of the hadith, and the parts where we left off last week was where the narrators say, فَقَامَ رَجُلٌ مِّنْهُمْ يُقَالُ لَهُ مِكْرَزُ بْنَ Prior to that, what had happened is, following a series of events on the journey from Medina to Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ camped at Hudaybiyyah and there he was approached by a number of emissaries, ambassadors from the Quraysh who spoke to him. The Prophet made it clear to them that his intention was not to cause any trouble with the Quraysh or the people of Mecca, but rather he came peacefully with the sole intention of performing Umrah, the lesser pilgrimage. A number of people came to visit the Prophet ﷺ on behalf of the Quraysh to learn of his true intentions and to dissuade him from proceeding any further. One of the last people to visit him was Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah Al-Kinani, who was a tribal leader of a number of factions. And all of them, having visited the Prophet wasallam, went back to the people of Mecca, the Quraysh, and spoke to them in a very different language and related to them something that was extremely different to what they had expected. The ambassadors from the Quraysh were overwhelmed by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Muslims. And Urut ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi radiyallahu anhu was the one who came before Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah. He spoke glowingly of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the way the companions treated him. Following him, Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah, who was actually an ally of the Quraysh, he went. And when he came back, he gave them the same message, that you shouldn't prevent Muhammad ibn Abdullah from approaching Mecca and entering the city in order to perform Umrah. They didn't listen to anyone till this stage. Eventually, they sent another person, and this was Mikraz ibn Hafs, so the narrators say, فَقَامَ رَجُلٌ مِّنْهُمْ أَيْمٍ قُرَيْشٍ So a man rose from them, meaning from the Quraysh, يُقَالُ لَهُ who was called Mikraz ibn Hafs. فَقَالَ دَعُونِي آتِي So he told the Quraysh, 
Allow me to go to him. فَقَالُوا So they said to him, approach him. فَلَمَّا أَشْرَفَ عَلَيْهِمْ So when he appeared to them, مِكْرَزُ بْنَ حَفْسِ قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, هَذَا مِكْرَزْ This is مِكْرَزْ وَهُوَ رَجُلٌ فَاجِرٌ And he is a sinful person. And what the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم meant is that he is a treacherous person. That would be a better translation. وَهُوَ رَجُلٌ فَاجِرٌ And he is a treacherous person. So even from a distance, the Prophet ﷺ saw him and recognized him and he knew of him that he is a treacherous person, he's not to be trusted. So he warned the companions beforehand. فَجَعَلَ يُكَلِّمُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So he began speaking to the Prophet ﷺ. فَبَيْنَمَا هُوَ يُكَلِّمُهُ So whilst he was speaking to him, إِذْ جَاءَ سُهَيْلُ بْنُ عَمْرُ When Suhailu ibn Amr came. Now, this is quite a late stage in the Prophet ﷺ camp time at Hudaybiyah. Prior to this, i.e. prior to the coming of Mikraz ibn Hafs and the last name that has been mentioned, Suhail ibn Amr, something else also happened which is of great significance but which hasn't been mentioned in this narration. As we learned last week, the Quraysh sent people to the Prophet and we've learned a few names. But equally so, the Prophet also sent a companion called Khirash ibn Umayyah to the Quraysh to make, as an ambassador, as a messenger, to make clear his intentions. So he sent Khirash ibn Umayyah It was at some stage in, these, in this episode some people came from the Quraysh to visit the Prophet ﷺ. Prophet ﷺ in turn sent one of his messengers, Khirash ibn Umayyah He sent him with a specific message of conveying to the Quraysh that we have not come to cause any trouble or to battle. Rather, we have come peacefully only with the intention of performing the Umrah, the less pilgrimage. So Khirash ibn Umayyah was sent by the Prophet on one of his camels. Unfortunately, when he arrived in Makkah al-Mukarramah, some of the Quraysh, they attacked the camel. And then they abused him. Khirash ibn Umayyah but these were only some. Others came forward and they offered him their protection. And as a result, under their protection, he was at least able to convey the message of Rasulullah But they refused to listen. However, with the message of Khirash ibn Umayyah as well as with the impression given to them by their own messengers and ambassadors. Al-Hulais ibn Al-Qamah, Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi radiyallahu an, their hearts were softening. And not only that, but they also realized the futility of their position, that they could do no harm to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Furthermore, as Hulais ibn Al-Qamah, the last messenger related to them, uh, as he said to them, even though he was their supporter, he was their ally, and they were the ones who sent him, or he volunteered to go and they allowed him to represent them. When he told the Quraysh that he never even spoke to the Prophet wasallam, but as we learned, when he came, Prophet wasallam, recognizing him from a distance, said that here comes someone from a people who revere the sacrificial animals. Therefore, raise the sacrificial animals for him to see. 
So the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum rose, they rose, they raised their animals, and they all began loudly pronouncing the Talbiyah, Labbaik, Allahumma Labbaik. So as he was approaching the camp from a distance, he saw the spectacle of sacrificial animals making their way towards him in such a large number. And all of these pilgrims, again, approximately 1,500 of them, so he immediately realized that the Quraysh were being extremely unreasonable and unjust in preventing these people, these pilgrims, from the house of Allah. So he, without even coming to speak to the Prophet ﷺ, turned back and then spoke to the Quraysh rather harshly. And he told them that how can you prevent these people from the house of Allah? So the Quraysh, they exchanged insults with him, and he also threatened them that since he was the leader of the Ahabish, which was a confederacy of a number of tribes who were allied to the Quraysh, he actually threatened them that all the tribes under my control, I will rouse all of them and march them against you. Why Why did he make a sudden threat to the Quraysh, even though a short while ago he was their ambassador and their representative to the Muslims? It was for this reason, that the prestige of the Quraysh and their position amongst the Arabs was mainly due to the Kaaba, the house of Allah, and the fact that they were its custodians. And the rule of Arabia was that regardless of their rivalries, their enmity, even their battles and their wars, in the sacred months and in the sacred vicinity, in the precincts of Mecca, no one was to be harmed. No enemy could harm an enemy in the sacred months, or especially in the holy precincts of the Kaaba, the house of Allah. And this was the widely and universally accepted rule amongst them. And the Quraysh till today had always honored it. Always. Now for the first time in their history, because of their political rivalry, they were banning not just one individual, but a whole large group of people from entering entering the city simply out of spite and out of their enmity. This set a dangerous precedent, which meant that in the future the Quraysh could not be trusted in their being custodians of the Kaaba. And tomorrow, anyone else who has a political difference with them, or who is their military rival or enemy, they will again stop them. So the Quraysh realized that our position is futile. And this is why Al-Hulais ibn Al-Qamah suddenly switched and became angry, threatening them, his own allies, that this no one will stand for this. This is extremely unjust, and it's detrimental to you. We as allies cannot be expected to stand with you if you take the step of banning whoever you want because of your differences from the holy precincts of Mecca, which is unprecedented. So, owing to all of this, the Quraysh began realizing that our position is futile, it's helpless. There is not much we can do to Muhammad. So their positioning was softening. So, Khirash ibn Umayyah spoke to them. And then following him, the Prophet ﷺ wished to send another messenger. And as I indicated last week, he summoned Umar ibn al-Khattab And he said to him, O oh, Umar, I wish you to visit the people of Mecca and convey my message to them. And the Prophet ﷺ wanted to deliver two messages. One was to the Quraysh, which was the same one as that carried by Khirash ibn Umayyah which was that we do not come with any intention of trouble, we come peacefully, we only wish to visit the house of Allah and perform the Umrah, the less pilgrimage. That was one message. The other message was, those al-mustad'afun, this is a term used in the Qur'an as well, 
Al-Mustad'afun refers to the weak and suppressed ones. Specifically, those Muslim women and children and men who lack the strength and the resources to emigrate to Medina after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ, and who were either by imprisonment or because of disability or lack of strength and lack of means, were compelled to remain behind in Mecca and who were unable to do hijrah with the Prophet ﷺ, even though they desperately wanted to. This, these, were the, these were known as al-mustadha'foon, the weak and oppressed ones. So the Prophet ﷺ told Umar ibn al-Khattab to visit some of these people too and boost their morale by conveying his salam and greetings to them and informing them that soon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will lift this burden off them and they will enjoy better times. So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, as you know, there is no one from my tribe of Banu Adi who will protect me. And the Quraysh, they know of my enmity towards them and my harshness towards them. So my life will not be spared. So I will be unable to fulfill your mission. And as I explained last week, the reason was that Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, he was from the Banu Adi, which was a tribe of the Quraysh. But because of his history with them and his harshness and his uncompromising approach in the past, he had no support even in his own clan. And there were very few of them anyway. They weren't a very large clan, even though they were prominent. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, I will recommend someone even better. Why don't you send Uthman ibn Affan? So the Prophet selected Uthman ibn Affan and sent him to Makkah al-Mukarramah to fulfill his mission with these two messages. Why was Uthman ibn Affan in a better position? Because he was from the Banu Abd Shams. This was probably the most powerful, one of the most powerful tribes at the time in Makkah al-Mukarramah. Banu Abd al-Shams. This was the family of Abu Sufyan and Umayyah. Utbah, Shaybah. He was part, he was part of their family. So the Prophet ﷺ sent Uthman ibn Affan with his message. Uthman arrived in the camp. Before he went to Mecca, he went to the camp at the east of Hudaybiyah, where the Quraysh were camped. So he spoke to them. They said, why have you come? And he explained to them. They were harsh with him as well. But again, Aban ibn Aban someone of the Quraysh, he came forward, he offered him his protection, he dismounted, he gave him his camel, and then he accompanied Uthman ibn Affan and riding pillion with him to Makkah al-Mukarramah. There, Uthman ibn Affan met with the leaders of the Quraysh. And he delivered the message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Quraysh... They cheekily told him, they rejected the message of the Prophet ﷺ, and they said that we will never allow Muhammad to enter the city of Mecca. One. And two, they said, but Uthman, since they were his kinsmen, they said to him, Uthman, if you wish, you can perform the tawaf of the Kaaba. We will allow you to perform the tawaf of the Kaaba. So... Uthman ibn Affan an said, no, never. How can it be that the Messenger of Allah and his companions are 
kept away from the city of Mecca and barred entry into the holy city. And I enjoy this privileged position of performing the tawaf of the Kaaba alone by Allah, I will never do it. Then what happened is that the Quraysh, for some strange reason, they detained Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu They didn't harm him, but they detained him. They refused to allow him to go back. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Sahaba radiallahu anhum waited and waited. Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu didn't return. And he was unable to convey any message to them. Eventually, a rumor spread. And word reached the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims that Uthman had been killed by the Quraysh. So the Prophet ﷺ summoned the Sahaba anhum. He told, he told a herald to announce the message. And the message was in the camp of the Quraysh. Uh, sorry, in the camp of the Muslims. Oh, Muslims. Ruh al-Quds, the Holy Spirit, Jibreel alayhi salam, has just descended with the command of Allah. And the Messenger of Allah is calling you to give your bay'ah, your pledge to him. So come. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhum began gathering around the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There were many trees in Hudaybiyah, because there were many wells, it was a fertile oasis. A small oasis, but it was fertile. So there were many trees. The Prophet ﷺ was camped underneath a tree, and he was seated there. And the Sahaba anhum began gathering around him to offer their bay'ah and their pledge. The word bay'ah simply means agreement. And in fact, the word for trade in Arabic is bay'ah. To buy and sell, to trade is bay'ah. And the word to pledge is bay'ah. Well, pledge means bay'ah. For the simple reason that traditionally, when two people agreed, when two men agreed on something, it was sealed by, as they say, a gentleman's handshake. There was no signed contract, there was no pen to paper, there was no ink, it was just by word of mouth, and how was the deal sealed and ratified? By placing one hand in the other, by a handshake. So, similarly, when people bought and sold and entered into trade agreements, again this was done by sealing the deal with a handshake. So... The word bay'ah simply means a pledge, and it means an agreement. An agreement could be for anything. You can have a partial agreement, you can have a wide-ranging agreement, you can have a single overarching agreement. And the Prophet ﷺ was given the bay'ah by the Sahaba anhum at different times of different forms. And this is just one specific bay'ah. Sometimes it would be a general bay'ah of Islam. So whoever would embrace Islam, would go to the Prophet ﷺ, offer their allegiance to him with the grand bay'ah of Islam. That grand bay'ah of Islam was uh, a complete pledge, a comprehensive pledge. But on other occasions, the Prophet ﷺ took a specific bay'ah on a particular point, And this was the case here. So the Sahaba anhum gathered and they all began pledging their bay'ah to the Prophet And what was the bay'ah? The Prophet expected the Sahaba anhum to pledge their loyalty to him on that occasion. For what? For remaining steadfast. For not leaving Hudaybiyah until the matter had been resolved. And if required, to avenge Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they rushed to offer their pledge to Rasulullah alayhi salatu wassalam. This was one occasion where Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum, the son of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhum, he managed to pledge 
his bay'ah to the Prophet ﷺ before his father. So the Sahaba anhum gave their bay'ah to the Messenger ﷺ. And as part of the bay'ah, the Prophet ﷺ even announced that Uthman is absent. In fact, the bay'ah was because of Uthman ibn Affan. So he said, Uthman is absent. So this is the hand of Uthman, and I place his hand in my hand. So the Prophet ﷺ actually accepted the bay'ah of Uthman by representing him himself. And this was a thing of great honor for, the, for Uthman ibn Affan. When the bay'ah took place, and this is what Allah refers to in Surah Al-Fatih, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ فَعَلِمَ مَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that verily Allah is pleased. Allah was pleased with the believers, with the mu'mineen, when they were pledging their hand, their, when they were pledging their bay'ah and their allegiance to you beneath the tree. Allah knew what was in their hearts, i.e. their sincerity. And in another verse of Surah Al-Fatih, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُبَايِعُونَكَ إِنَّمَا يُبَايِعُونَ اللَّهِ يَدُ اللَّهِ فَوْقَ أَيْدِيهِمْ Verily those who pledge their allegiance to you and give you their bay'ah, in reality they are only pledging their allegiance to Allah. Allah's hand is over their hand. So, this was the bay'ah. It was also known as bay'atul ridwan. It's known as bay'atul hudaybiyah, the pledge of hudaybiyah. It's also known as bay'atul ridwan, the pledge of pleasure. Allah's pleasure, because it's a reference to the verse of the Qur'an, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ That verily Allah is pleased with those who are pledging their allegiance to you. And we learn from many ahadith that the Prophet wasallam said, Insha'Allah, Allah will forgive all those who gave the bay'ah beneath the tree, meaning at Hudaybiyah. So the, amongst the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, this was a specific group as well. Just as the veterans of the Battle of Badr were honored, they were honored forever. They were always honored. So later, even after the time of the Prophet wasallam, in the different cities of Islam, there were categories amongst the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. And these categories were honored by the companions themselves. Of course, anyone who was a companion of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam was greatly honored. But the elite amongst the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum were the veterans of the Battle of Badr. And along with the veterans of Badr were the veterans of Hudaybiyah. Because of this bay'ah. In fact, the Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu when he set their stipends and when he set their grants, yearly annual grants given by the treasury to the companions radiyallahu anhum, the, they were graded. So the veterans of the Battle of Badr were always given more and they were given a more privileged position than the rest of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. So Allah forgave those who participated in this bay'ah of Hudaybiyah. And it was all done because of Uthman ibn Affan Unfortunately, Uthman ibn Affan was, is one of those companions who because of his humility and his soft demeanor and, hum, and his soft character was and remains maligned and heavily criticized and in fact abused and so much so that sadly as part of the fitna that arose in the ummah after the passing away of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu Huzaifat ibn al-Yaman was a keeper of the secrets of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, 
once he was seated in the company of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu said, Who will relate to us the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about fitna? The word fitna in Arabic means distraction. That's the original meaning. So anything which distracts you, which preoccupies you, which diverts your attention away from something which is far more important, far more pressing, then that thing, that distraction is known as a fitna. It's a word which is very difficult to translate into English or into any language because it's so versatile. But the original meaning of fitna is distraction. So anything which distracts you, in fact, in the Qur'an, the word fitna means adab as well. وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ خَاصَةً And fear of punishment. Here the word is fitna, but the meaning is punishment, which doesn't befall only the guilty amongst you. So, and why is fitna, why is adab, punishment, called fitna? Because it's distracting. A calamity is distracting, so it's a fitna. Seduction is distracting. That's a fitna. Anything which seduces a person, whether it's to do with wealth or the opposite gender, is a fitna. Why? Because it distracts. So the word fitna means, originally means distraction. And then it has grades of severity. So you have minor things which are a distraction. That's a fitna as well. And then you have other types of fitna which are preoccupying, they mentally preoccupy you. They completely seize control of your mind and heart and you are unable to do anything else. That's a fitna. There are some forms of fitna which put such fear and fright in you that you are unable to think of anything else. That's a fitna. So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Sorry, that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, that, إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ فِتْنَةٌ That your wealth and your children are a fitna. So how are your wealth and your children a fitna? Again, they're a distraction. That's why Allah says in another verse, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تُلْهِكُمْ أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَلَا أَوْلَادُكُمْ عَنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ O believers, do not let your children and your wealth distract you. La tulhikum, distract you from the remembrance of Allah. So the word fitna means distraction. So he was seated with the Sahaba radiyallahu anhu, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu and he said to them, who will relate to us the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa about fitna? So some of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhu mention the fitna of wealth and children and families. So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu said, that's not the fitna I'm referring to. I'm referring to that fitna, which heaves like the heaving of the ocean. I'm referring to that great fitna, which shall heave like the heaving of the ocean. So Hudayfat ibn al-Yaman radiyallahu anhu said, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, why should you concern yourself with that fitna? And then Hudayfat ibn al-Yaman radiyallahu anhu, who was a keeper of the secrets of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said that, for there is a door between you and that fitna. So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu said, will that door be open? Or will it be broken, smashed? So he said it will be smashed. Later, the students of Hudayfat ibn al-Yaman radiyallahu they wanted to know who, the, who or what was the door. But the narrators, these are the students of Hudayfah radiyallahu anhu, they say, فَهِبْنَا أَنَّ نَسْأَلَهُ 
We were too frightened. We were filled with awe. We were too frightened to question radiyallahu an. Until eventually they managed to convince one of them to approach radiyallahu an and question him. Why was that? Why were they too frightened? The word hibna doesn't necessarily mean frightened, is that they were overawed. That's a better translation. For hibna, we were too filled with awe to question Hudayfah radiallahu anhu. Because that's the concept of respect in Islam. Throughout history, respect has been an integral part of religion. And students always respected their teachers. Always. Imam Abu Yusuf, Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, he says that I would never stretch my legs in the direction of the house of my teacher, Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman, even though there were seven streets between me and his house. And that was Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah. Imam Abu Yusuf, rahmatullahi alayhi, says, ever since I became a student of Imam Abu Hanifa, he says, all my life, after every salah, whenever I have raised my hands to make dua, even before praying for myself, even before praying for my mother or for my father, I have always began my prayers with a prayer for my teacher, Abu Hanifa. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahimahullah, says, Never did I drink water before my teacher, Shafi'i. This was a concept of respect in Islam, and inshallah, on one occasion I will speak about that. But um, the students say we were too... F- Oh, filled with awe to question Hudayfah radiyallahu about who the door was, who or what was the door that was being referred to. So again, what did Umar radiyallahu anhu say? Who will relate to as the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa about fitna? So someone related the fitna about children and families. So Umar radiyallahu anhu said, that's not the fitna that I'm referring to. I want to know about that great fitna that will heave like the heaving of the ocean. So Hudayfa radiyallahu anhu said, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, what concerns you about that fitna? Why do you want to concern yourself? For there is a door between you and that fitna. So Umar radiyallahu anhu said, will that door be opened or will it be smashed? So he said it will be smashed. Students were too scared that eventually they managed to ask Hudayfa radiyallahu anhu, who or what was the door? So he said, Umar ibn al-Khattab is the door. And the meaning of, subhanAllah, will it be opened or will it be smashed? The meaning of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is, that Umar radiallahu anhu was a barrier to fitna in the ummah. He himself was a barrier to fitna. And between him and that great fitna, that will cause a huge distraction and disruption to the affairs of the ummah, is a door. And that door won't be opened, but it will be smashed. Meaning, Umar radiallahu anhu was that door. And when his life would come to an end, it would, the door would not be opened by the passing away peacefully of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu Rather, the door would be smashed by his sudden martyrdom and stabbing. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, will it be opened or will it be smashed? So Hudayfah radiallahu anhu said, it will be smashed. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, in that case, it will never be shut again. So the student said to Hudayfah radiallahu anhu, who was that door or what was that door? He said, Umar ibn Khattab. So they said to him, did Umar radiallahu anhu know that he was that door? So Hudayfah radiallahu anhu says, just as Umar radiallahu anhu knew, knows that, or knew, that before the morning comes the night, with the same conviction he knew that he was the door. 
that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was speaking of. When Umar radiyallahu an passed away, Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu an became the leader of the ummah. For six years approximately, things were very peaceful. But with the provocation of shaitan and the cooperation of the hypocrites, the fitna arose in the ummah. And sadly and tragically, the primary target of that fitna was none other than Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu And Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu he was the great mudhlum, the great oppressed one. So much so that they besieged his house. They cut off his water from the same well which he had donated to the Muslims. And on that occasion, someone approached Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah. And he said to him, I'd like to ask you about Uthman. And he was one of the people who was critical of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu So he said to him, is it true that Uthman fled on the day of the battle of Uhud? Fled meaning he retreated. So Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah said, yes. So he said, is it true that Uthman was absent in the battle of Badr? She said, yes, it's true. She said, is it true that Uthman was absent at the pledge of Hudaybiyah? She said, it's true. So when the man heard all three confirmations, since he was seeking criticism of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu he was one of those who was involved with the party of fitna. He said, Allahu Akbar. He exclaimed, Allahu Akbar, gleefully, that Abdullah ibn Umar had conceded to all three. But Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum said, listen to me though. And then he explained. And before I begin his explanation, the meaning of Uthman radiallahu an retreating on the, battle of, in, on the day of the battle of Uhud, so it's, it's quite simple, it's very straightforward. As we've learned before, on, on, in the battle of Uhud, the Muslims scored an initial victory. Because of a strategic error and their failure to obey the command of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam to the letter, which is for the band of archers, approximately 50 of them, to remain stationed on the hill, which overlooked a ravine. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam identified that as a strategic position. And he gave specific commands that no matter what happens, this band of 50 archers are not to dis- disband or to descend from the hill until clear instructions are given by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, regardless of what may be happening elsewhere. Because of their failure to fulfill the command of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam to the letter, some of them did, the leaders did, but not all of them. As a result, the initial victory of the Muslims suffered a huge setback because Khalid ibn al-Walid, who was the, at the head of the cavalry, he recognized that strategic position and realized that it was no longer manned with sufficient archers. So he came from the rear with his cavalry and launched an attack from the rear on the Muslims. And then the Quraysh were retreating because they had suffered an initial defeat. When they realized that Khalid ibn al-Walid had uh, attacked the Muslims from the rear, they then turned back and re-engaged in the battle. As a result, the Muslims were caught in a pincer attack from the front and the rear. And this led to huge losses and casualties. And in the confusion, indeed, a number of companions, radiallahu anhum, they retreated. But it wasn't a complete retreat from the battlefield. It was in that mayhem and in that confusion, they moved away from the center of battle and as many of them fled, but then they came back. So Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu he was one of those who retreated momentarily. So this was one of the questions. So Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu said to that question, listen, as for Uthman retreating on the day of Uhud, 
then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven them. He, along with other companions. Two, as for him being absent in the battle of Badr, it was because his wife, the daughter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was severely ill, and by the command of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he remained behind in order to nurse her and to look after her. And as for his being absent in the battle of Hudaybiyah, well, he was in Mecca, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took the bay'ah of the people because of him. And not only that, but the Prophet ﷺ raised his hand and said, This is the hand of Uthman, and I thus place it in my hand. So Abdullah ibn Umar having confounded this question with, these, with this clarification, he said, Now, take these and go away. So Uthman ibn Affan and sadly has always remained a target of criticism and abuse unjustly and undeservedly. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate his rank in Jannah. But the Prophet accepted the bay'ah from the Sahaba radiallahu anhum for the sake of Uthman. And not only that, but he placed one of his noble hands in the other and said, this is the bay'ah of Uthman. One hand, my hand in my hand. This is something else that took place. Thereafter, word reached the Prophet ﷺ that the rumor of Uthman and being martyred was false. And as a result, the Prophet ﷺ therefore did not pursue any further action, having been reassured that the rumor was false and that Uthman was well and alive. So this is another major incident that took place before the arrival of Mikraz ibn Hafs and Suhail ibn Amr. So going back to the hadith. فَقَامَ رَجُلٌ مِّنْهُمْ So one of the Quraysh, a man of the Quraysh stood up. يُقَالُ لَهُ Who was called Mikraz ibn Hafs. فَقَالْ So he said to the Quraysh, دَعُونِي آتِي أَلَامِي To go to Muhammad. فَقَالُوا اِئْتِهِ so they said, yes, you go to him. فَلَمَّا أَشْرَفَ عَلَيْهِمْ When he appeared to them, قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, هَذَا مِكْرَزْ This is مِكْرَزْ وَهُوَ رَجُلٌ فَاجِرْ And he's a treacherous man. فَجَعَلَ يُكَلِّمُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ so he began speaking to the Prophet sallallahu So whilst he was speaking to him, Suhail ibn Amr, when Suhail ibn Amr radiallahu came. Now Suhail ibn Amr wasn't a Muslim at the time. Ma'mar says, Ayyub Ayyub informed me from Ikrimah. This is just a chain of narration, the Sanad. أَنَّهُ لَمَّا جَاءَ سُهَيْلُ بْنُ عَمْرِ But when Suhail ibn Amr came, قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لَقَدْ سَهُلَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَمْرِكُمْ That part of your affair has become easy for you. Who was Suhail ibn Amr? Suhail ibn Amr was an elderly nobleman of the Quraysh. And he was extremely eloquent. In fact, he was one of their orators. He was a famous orator from amongst the Quraysh. And he was able to convince people through his oratory. And he was again a diplomat, a man of great wisdom and intellect. But unfortunately his loyalty to his tribe, to his pagan religion, blinded him when it came to Rasulullah and the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. But when the Prophet ﷺ saw him coming from a distance, remember Mikraz ibn Hafs was already standing there, talking to the Prophet ﷺ, discussing with him, when Suhail ibn Amr arrived. Now the word Suhail, it's a diminutive, ismut tasghir, a diminutive from Sahl. You may have heard the name Sahl. Sahl means soft. He actually refers to the ground. <coughs> Soft ground. 
We all know the famous phrase of Arabic, Ahlan wa Sahla. What does Ahlan wa Sahla mean? It's normally translated as welcome. But the Arabs, their language was very brief but full of meaning. Ahlan wa Sahla. It means, لَقَدْ نَزَلْتَ أَهْلَ وَوَطِئْتَ سَهْلَ It means, Ahl means family. And Sahl is the opposite of Hazn. Hazn means hard ground. Rocky, hard, jagged ground. So any ground which is rocky, which is hard, where water doesn't seep in, that's known as Hazn. And the opposite of Hazn is Sahl. And Sahl means soft ground. So when we say, when the Arabs say, Ahlan wa Sahla, what they mean is, Ahla, you've come to family. And Sahla, you've tread on soft ground. لَقَدْ نَزَلْتَ Ahla wa وَطِئْتَ Sahla. That's the meaning of Ahlan wa Sahla. And speaking of Sahl and Hazn, Sa'id, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, Rahimahullah, was known as Sayyidul Tabi'een, the leader of the Tabi'een, the students and the successors to the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. He was very pious. He died in 93 or 94 Hijri, and he was extremely pious, Sayyid ibn Musayyib. Allahu Akbar. It's said of him that for 40 years, he was never, he lived in Medina, but for 40 years, the people of Medina only ever saw him in one of two places. Either he was in his house, or he was in the masjid of Rasulullah They say in 40 years, he was never seen in the marketplace. Never. So... Sayyid ibn Musayyib was extremely pious, and he is widely regarded, in fact, in many books and biographies, or, and even in the collection of biographies of the Tabi'een. His name begins with the word Sayyidu Tabi'een, Sayyid ibn Musayyib, the leader of all the Tabi'een, Sayyid ibn Musayyib. So Sayyid ibn Musayyib himself relates that my grandfather, his name was Hazm. And what did I just say about Hazn? What does it mean? Hard. Hard ground. So the Prophet ﷺ told my grandfather to change his name from Hazn to Sahl. Which means soft. But for some reason my grandfather did not change his name. Sa'id ibn Musayyib says, as a result of which you will find the traits and the characteristic of hard-heartedness in our whole clan. Names have an effect. And the Prophet ﷺ would pay special attention to good names. And if he ever came across a because meanings have an effect. And if he ever came across a name which had a negative meaning, the Prophet ﷺ would tell them to change the name and not only change the name, but he would change it to a good, beautiful name. A woman was called Barrah. Barrah means extremely pious. So the Prophet said, change your name. Why? Because Allah says in the Quran, لا تزكوا أنفسكم Do not purify yourselves, i.e. do not declare your purity. And by keeping a name like that, Prophet ﷺ felt that it was an announcement of piety. So he said, do not call yourself Barra, rather call yourself Zainab. So the Prophet ﷺ changed a number of people's names, because he did not like the original meaning. So names have an effect. They really do. We may not understand how and why, but Allahu Akbar. And I won't go into the specific details, but 
Even now I recall certain individuals with names. And the effect of those names shows fully, either in their character or actually in their physique. So like I said, I won't mention any details, but someone was named at birth. And the name is of a historical figure. And that historical figure was famous, but he also suffered a disability. So when I met this individual, I I said, well, not met, I know them very well. I said to him that your disability, if you don't mind me asking, how did it come about? Is it from birth? So he said, no. I developed this disability afterwards. How? No accident, no apparent reason. But his name, he was named after a historical figure who had a disability, was famous for his disability. And in fact, the name contains a reference to the disability. Names have an effect, they really do. We may not understand this, but this is a way of spirituality, this is a way of the other world, the other realm. And this is why we have been instructed in Islam to adopt good names. Beautiful names. The Prophet ﷺ would actually change names to better names. Names have an effect. And as Sa'id ibn Musayyib rahimahullah, relates, who was a leader of the Tabi'een, he's, he's a leader of the Tabi'een, and yet he says that you will find hard heartedness in my whole family. Because my grandfather failed to change his name from Hazn, which means hard, to Sahal which means soft, as the Prophet ﷺ said. So Sahl means soft, and Suhail is the tasghir, the diminutive of Sahl. In Arabic, you have Umar, the diminutive is Umair. You have Sahl, the diminutive is Suhail. And you have many other such names. Umair, Suhail, Abd, the diminutive is Ubaid. So... The Prophet وسلم, when he saw Suhail ibn Amr uh, coming from a distance, at that time he wasn't a Muslim. The Prophet وسلم, augured well from his name. So he actually took a reference to his name. So he said, Suhail is coming. And what's the meaning of Suhail? The little soft one. So the Prophet, and it means ease. Suhail means softness. Suhula means softness, ease, comfort. So the Prophet saw Suhail coming and he said, لَقَدْ سَهُلَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَمْرِكُمْ That part of your affair has now become soft and easy. So he actually took that meaning from the name of Suhail ibn Amr. Suhail ibn Amr wasn't a Muslim at the time, but he later became Muslim. And remarkably, as often happened amongst the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, he was elderly, he was one of the leaders of the Quraysh, and yet his own sons embraced Islam. Al-As, known as Abu Jandal, and his brother Abdullah ibn Suhail ibn Amr. These were two very steadfast companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam who embraced Islam very early on, and long before their father. And not only long before their father, but their father imprisoned them and punished them because of their Islam. So when he came to see the Prophet ﷺ, he was still a staunch and bitter opponent of the Messenger ﷺ. But despite that, and the Prophet ﷺ knew all about him, he knew how bitter and harsh he was. He knew how staunchly he opposed the Muslims. In fact, he knew that he tortured his own two sons. And he was taken as a captive in the Battle of Badr. And he was imprisoned in Medina. But then he was ransomed and allowed to go back to Makkah al-Mukarramah. So despite knowing all about him, just from his name, Prophet wasallam said, Here comes Suhail ibn Amr. لَقَدْ سَهُلُ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَمْرِكُمْ Part of your affair has now become soft and easy. 
So then Sahih ibn Amr came, and then they agreed a truce. They negotiated, they spoke for very long, and then finally they negotiated a truce. And inshallah, we will continue with the details of their conversation and their truce next week. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.